You're listening to the Meet the Farmers podcast with me, your host, Ben Eagle. For previous episodes, visit thinkingcountry.com or find the podcast on iTunes or SoundCloud by searching for Meet the Farmers. So you'll have come down that road down there, past that farm. So that's our farm there. Um, and everything, basically everything, you come to the left and you follow the, the wall with the moor. And you, you go right up into the top of the day and you come all the way around and you go back down there ever so far. Yeah. So it's, it's just over 750 acres altogether. Hello everyone and welcome to the show. This is episode 60 of Meet the Farmers. We're talking all about care farming today and I travelled to the North Yorkshire Moors to visit Robin Asquith, the farm manager at High Farm Bottom Village. Robin is a director of Care Farming UK. He was also 2016 Nuffield Farming Scholar and a finalist in the 2015 Farmers Weekly Farm Manager of the Year Awards. Care or social farming is basically a farming model that provides opportunities, both therapeutic and work-based, for adults with mental health issues, depression, dementia, uh, physical and acquired brain injuries. There are now around 240 care farming businesses in the UK. For now, though, let's head to Yorkshire and Robin. The Campbell Village Trust has always had um, it's always had farms. Um, it's it's a, a land-based community, um, but um, due to various issues, the, the sort of farms got put to one side while they focused on the charity focused on other issues um but now it's it's it's, it's time to build so we've got um we've got a beef herd a uh, small dairy herd um we've got a flock of sheep and we've got a few pigs as well and now we're looking to to increase numbers of what we have got to make it a little bit more sustainable i think i'm right in saying that you grew up on a sort of on a soft fruit farm yep i i grew up over over the hill as I like to not say, that far, not that far not, away. Not, not that far away. No, over in uh, on the outskirts of Pickering. Yeah, so my family had a, a soft fruit farm. So I spent my summers picking strawberries and raspberries and potatoes and things like that. I really, uh, I really love that. That's where my that's where my real heart is. I guess in yeah. in, in soft fruit. Yeah, and then you ended up going to Hull to do geography. Yeah, I did, but before that, I trained as a plumber. When I first did left you? school, I I did a plumbing apprenticeship for a couple of years. Yeah. Okay. Um, which learnt some useful skills. I was going to say, I bet, I bet you still use those skills. <laughs> yeah, it's handy when you want a new bathroom or something <laughs> like that, yeah. Um, so, yeah, and then I went to the University of Hull, did a geography degree for three years, and uh, then I worked in commercial horticulture. Um, okay. So worked in a, a plug plant nursery near Thirsk, yep. where we were growing 180 million plants a year. Um so I was one of the growers there overseeing the watering and pesticide applications and all that kind of thing. So you, would you say you're more of a, a plant man than a livestock man? Or you like a bit, bit of everything? I like, a bit of, I like a bit of both, really, yeah. Quite, I've, I got into me life. I, 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 I like my poultry. Um, me and my wife have our own poultry business at home. So we do um, traditional... Uh, poultry for predominantly for christmas i was gonna say you beat me too with that question i was gonna yeah. talk about that later on but that's, yeah, yeah. So, that's, so i bet you're busy with that at the moment 
Yeah, I, I, I had the day off from here yesterday to um, to to do twelve turkeys for pub orders yesterday. So yeah, just what everyone's what everyone wants to do on their day. Exactly. Off. Yeah, <laughs> I got a lot of days off in December, and they all all of all around a lot of feathers and turkey meat. Um, but yeah, no, we do we're doing just over hundred birds this year, uh, turkeys, and we do geese and ducks as well, and then we do chickens and ducks throughout the year as well for local pubs and restaurants. So where did your interest in care farming? come from and and tell me about your first experiences it was pure chance really i saw a job advertised and the job advert was um assistant farm manager on a small upland hill farm when i looked it up it was just a few miles down the road from where we lived i thought well that beats an hour's commute um i I applied went for the job interview and when i got there there was all these people there was several people there i thought this is this is a bit of a strange farm (laughs) What's, what's this all about and um, the owner of the farm, um, she she had uh, she was in a wheelchair. She was a very well educated lady, and but she always struggled to find employment. Her family had a upland hill farm, so they used the farm as a means for helping people with other disabilities to get further qualifications or work experience to help them get a job. So they took a bit of a punt on me and gave me the job as, to oversee that and run the the farm element and the the people side of that. Um, and it went from there really I just yeah. I just liked it's a very rewarding job because you're helping people um, learn things and lead a meaningful life really yeah listeners probably have an idea of what care farming is but tell, tell people what what care farming actually is what it means it's it's the therapeutic use of the farmed environment that's how I described it really or the natural environment so we support adults with various different disabilities um, on the farm and they just work alongside the staff team to do whatever they need to do on the farm um, the only thing they're not allowed to do is drive the tractor <laughs> for, for obvious health oh, and safety reasons <laughs> man <laughs> yeah um, so tell me about your Nuffield and yep. how that came about uh, because that was specifically about um, the future of, of care farming yeah. in this yeah so when I when I was running the other farm, um, at that point I didn't know that it was something called care farming. Didn't know that there was other farms doing that. We we were just a little farm in the North York Moors trying to do a, a good thing, um, and then um, someone said, "Oh, you you want to do a Nuffield? I'd never heard of a Nuffield before. I said, What's that?" I said, "Oh, well, the pay is to go and travel the world for eight weeks." I said, oh, that sounds good. <laughs> I said, "I never, I never, uh, I never really did any. I didn't do the standard gap year and go travelling or anything like that." And I looked into it a little bit more and thought, "Well, actually, this is there's a bit of relevance here." And I did a bit of desk research, and there's a lot of farms elsewhere in the in the world that support people on farms with disabilities, and I thought. Well, we could probably learn something about that. So I applied for enough field. I got got through first time, much to my amazement. It was a big life-changing thing, really, the whole Nuffield. I, I went to look at the role that agriculture could play in delivering social care. It took me all over the world. Went to North America, all Scandinavian countries, Holland, France, Italy, Germany, a lot of places I'd never been, places I probably never would have been if it wasn't for Nuffield. Have you got any good stories? The best story is when I went to Finland, actually. It was right up in the northern part of Finland, right, real obscure place. And I went, I had about a four-hour train journey to get there. It only cost me, like, six quid. It was amazing, <laughs> like, brilliant train travel. Anyway, I got there, and I was asked to speak at this conference about green care in, in Finland. <laughs> 
There was me and two other people out of about 300 people there that spoke English. <laughs> the, the other person, uh, one of the ladies was the organiser ladies and the other person was a, a student, Italian student. So me and her got sat next to each other with this woman interpreting for us. And uh, then they asked me to get up and do a speech. So I got none of them, I don't think anyone could understand my English, <laughs> particularly with a thick Yorkshire accent in there. And then afterwards, they invited us for a meal. Oh, great, yeah. We got to this meal, me and this Italian lady, and it was this massive big banquet table. But why is this a bit odd? And there was a bear. There was a bear's skin with the bear's head laid down the centre of the table. And we were just like, what? 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 We just thought it was decoration. It was fake. It was actually a real one. And it was an eight-course meal, and it was all about celebrating the bear's life. And part of the meal, we ate bear. Okay. It was disgusting. Okay. It really... Not one recommended for Yorkshire. No, I wouldn't recommend... No, no, really tough. I didn't even know they had bears in Finland, but we were, apparently we were only 10 miles from the Russian border. Okay. And so there's a lot, big brown bear population. And um, part of it, we had to stand up and we had to go and touch the bear and feel the bullet holes and, and say a prayer for the bear and all this kind of malarkey. <laughs> It was just bizarre, and in between each course, you had to drink this shot of red stuff. <laughs> I've no idea what was in it. It was to represent the bear's blood, but anyway, you had to, and it was rude not to. And then we had to sing a little song and finish between each course. It was the most bizarre experience I've ever had in my entire life. <laughs> yeah, so that's probably the best story from the <laughs> Nuffield experience. <laughs> what, what, were you, what, what were you actually trying to do in Finland? Was there a particular farm that you were going I, to? I was looking at that they were starting to support adults with dementia outdoors there so that's what I initially went to look for I mean the Scandinavian countries are really they're really in touch with the outdoors it's it's just part of their culture to be outside to do exercise to go for a walk to be sympathetic to the environment and the climate and all that kind of thing and so they have a very different way of thinking to what we do here in the UK so that's predominantly why I went to Scandinavia okay because on the dementia front you've started doing far more here on the farm here yeah. to support people who have dementia. Yeah, so that 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 was the I guess the one of the big things I came back from Nuffield was that people abroad support people living with dementia a hell of a lot better than we do in this country. Um, our social care sector and how we support people with dementia is, is shocking, really. Um, and it, it got me th- thinking that someone who is an outdoor person who loves being outdoors, if if I was to get a diagnosis of dementia or, or a similar illness and I had to access day support, I wouldn't want to be in a town centre sat in a miserable grey building yeah. doing something. I'd want to be outdoors. And so the whole idea now is that we, we, we support people living with dementia to come to the farm or the garden to keep active, to, to continue doing the interests that they've always enjoyed doing. And, and also that social social element. And, and we've, we've had some good success with it now. Yeah, I was going to say, tell me about some of the stories of some of the people who've come to work here and what, what have they gone on to afterwards? It were the best examples, uh, um, a lad called James. He, he, he was our first, when we set this farm back up in 2016, he was our first paying uh, client, as it were. And um, after about a year, he developed his skills to a point where we felt he needed a little bit more. He, he shouldn't really be paying us for, for, we didn't need our support really anymore. 
but he did need a level of support. Um, so we, we got some funding, we got, put him on a horticultural apprenticeship. And uh, so two year apprenticeship, he was day release at a local agricultural college. Um, he finished that in October, he passed, and now he's got himself a, a, a job working for a local grounds maintenance company. Yeah, that's brilliant. So that's a fantastic, and that's what we're, we want people to help people move on. So we've, someone like James, given the right level of support and the right level of funding first off, he's been able to develop and he's been able to move on and now he can contribute to society and, and lead a, a full and independent life. And that, that, I guess, ultimately benefits the taxpayer. Yeah, yeah. And I, suppose, I think that's an important point as well here in terms of, I suppose, what farming can, those extra benefits that farming can give to society. But obviously you're a charity, yep. um, but do you think that you are supported, there are enough support networks for the work that you do? Probably not. I don't think, if you look at your standard agricultural support, like the NFU and the CLA and people like that, they're still a bit fuzzy about, they don't really understand what it is. and They, yeah. they, don't, they can't really decide where it fits in with mainstream agriculture. Yeah. Um, we, we do have a good organisation in an organisation called Social Farms and Gardens, which is a national charity which supports care farmers. So the, the idea is to, uh, to promote care farming and support care farmers, or social farmers. Um, and they've, they've just received uh, 1.4 million in funding uh, through a joint project funded through DEFRA, the Department of Education and Natural England. And they just launched the first um, programme in Yorkshire and Humber last week, actually. Um, so I'm, I'm a regional facilitator, uh, somebody that's knowledgeable about this sector. Um, so the idea is to help grow um, care farming opportunities and support care f existing care farmers, um, but also to champion in government, but also support organisations about what it is that social farms can do and can offer, really. So you obviously spend a fair amount of your time here, but you're also going off and supporting uh, social farms elsewhere in the country as well. Yeah, so um, the, the charity that I work for, the Camp Hill Village Trust, we have um, nine sites in England. So I, I oversee and help lead social farms and gardens on six of those sites. Um, so we have one in St Albans, one in uh, Watford, uh, one in Gloucestershire, Stourbridge, Middlesbrough and here in Bottom. Um, so, yeah, I do a fair bit of uh, travelling around and... and uh, help train our staff and, and, and make sure the farms are providing meaningful opportunities for people and that everyone that comes to our farms and gardens can lead a life of opportunity, really. You mentioned training there, which uh, before we started recording, we were talking about actually the difficulty in, in finding, because you have to be, to work in this kind of setting, you have to A, be good on the agriculture side, but also you need to be good with people. Yeah. How easy is it to find people like that? It's quite difficult. <laughs> we, in the however many years I've been doing this now, we've always struggled to find um, farm staff who know which way round a cow is meant to be, <laughs> but also are personable yeah. to people and yeah, yeah. have that patience and 
want to support people to, to develop, it, it's, it's hard. Um, we've got some cracking staff at the moment. Um, Claire, who's our farm lead, she just won silver in the British Farming Awards in October. Farm Worker of the Year. Um, oh, I should, should be speaking to her instead. <laughs> yeah, 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 maybe so, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so... But but she comes from a unique background. I think she yeah. she grew up on a family farm. She worked in farming, and then the the family went out of uh, out of out of agriculture. She worked in social care, uh, and then this job enabled her to come back and do what she really loved doing, which was working with animals. Yeah. But also working with people, which she also loved. So she's great because she understands both sides of things. Yeah. And we have other our other members of staff are, are equally as good that. They understand the farm inside, or the garden inside, but they also understand the people. And I think everyone that works in this sector does it for the people. And you want to be, you want to see people develop and people grow. But it is tricky because it's not 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 everyone's cup of tea. Um, you can get your traditional farmer, should we say, might struggle with the fact that certain jobs take us a lot longer. We, but it's quite nice in some ways that we haven't got that time pressure because it's about the people and it's about the people developing. So we've just come inside into the firm office, um, out of the cold. It is so much colder up here. I know I'm being a soft southerner, but soft it, is, southerner, yeah. it is a lot colder up here, just saying. This is um, warm. <laughs> um, yeah, tell, tell me a bit about uh, sort of wider land use on the farm and uh, what your what your sort of projects and aims are um, when it comes to land management? Yeah, well, we've got um, quite an ambitious sort of five-year plan, really, to to turn around the the land here. It's 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 been um, neglected really prior to our arrival. So we we we've got the people side going. So now we need to get the the pasture side going. So we'd like to work towards a, a system where it's, it's sort of pasture-fed beef and lamb. Um, I think that's a good way to go with the climate as it is in terms of people worried about emissions and cow farting and veganism and uh, I think being able to show that you're not feeding additional grains and things but it also it fits really well with our organic system here. Yeah. Um, we also we, we've got a massive fencing undertaking to do we've, we've got about 5,000 metres to do this year and yeah. probably easily probably at least the same again in over the next sort of three four years and that's that's just to um to get on top of lack of maintenance really yeah. but also we need we, we've got a lot of ditches and drains that are blocked we're on quite not very fantastic ground as it is so um acidity is quite a problem yeah we we spread 240 ton of lime this spring we'll have to do soil tests again this spring and i suspect there might be some more lime to yeah. to spread again so it is very much bad canvas at the moment yeah we're, we're, we're starting from a base level and we're aiming to build so that's we're, we're quite understocked at the moment um, so the, 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 the idea is that we, we invest now and get the land back up to scratch and right and then we increase our stock numbers there's no point getting loads of more stock now and then not yeah, having yeah, enough yeah. stuff to feed them so yeah. and because we're organic we've got to do things in the, probably a little bit slower than you would on a more commercial system yeah so in terms of thinking long-term future of the place um i'm guessing you've sort of got charitable aims as well yeah, yeah. Sort of, so you've got your 
you've got your aims for the land and what you're trying to do, and then you've got your social um, and educational aims as well. Yep. Yeah, so the, the, the charity's aim is, is, is to support people um, to lead a life of opportunity. That's our, that's our strap line. Um, and the farm the, the farm plays an important part of that and there's a, there's a there's a wider national opinion changing of how we access the natural environment and how we can use farms and horticulture as a means of helping us with our health for the wider public so I've been involved with a bit of the social prescribing work where uh, doctors can prescribe time at a place such as a farm to yep. help people with their health and well-being so um, that that's quite a key focus for the, this charity moving forwards and, and being able to showcase and, and sort of almost be a pioneer or a leader in how we support people in a farm-based environment. Yeah. We've got an election coming up by the time this episode comes out um, it will already have happened but I want to focus for a little bit of time on social care Generally, yeah, um, and where we're going on a broad, on a broad level with social care, mm-hmm. from the perspective of the role of farming within social care, yeah. how could we integrate social farming and social care? There's a massive opportunity, regardless of who comes in the, at the next election. Um, Social care in this country is about on its knees, really. We, we, we see it from the people we support. It's a lot harder to get funding for people that need funding. Um, some people aren't eligible for funding anymore, and they're, so they miss out on opportunities. Um, so it, it, it is about getting that funding stream through to the end organisations, such as ours, that are providing the services on the ground. Because if... If health services or social care services intervene before something becomes a problem, it's actually cheaper and more cost effective in the long term. The further, it's like a, the, the, I can't remember what it's called, but it's like a triangle. And the further down the triangle, the narrower the triangle gets, the more costly the intervention. And it's been proven, there's loads of research out there that being outdoors on a social farm or a garden, wherever it may be, is really beneficial to people's mental well-being so if someone's presenting at the doctors for example quite early doors coming to a, a place like this alongside conventional medication could for some people it won't work for everyone will help prevent people going further down that triangle and reduce the more costly interventions which we're struggling to uh, to afford at the moment but for that to become really sort of well known people need to know about it a lot more people there's a preconceived idea in the UK I guess that you go to the doctors and he's got a magic pill that'll make everything go away and be okay uh, we're a very heavily medicalised system really pills are the answer but they're not necessarily always the answer um, particularly now in a digital environment where we spend so much time glued to our phones and emails and all that kind of thing it's, it's really important for our own well-being to just take a bit of time and, and go and, and and if if a doctor can pay for that or can allow you to find some funding for that that that's great and it'll have a massive cost saving further down the line but it persuading governments that governments aren't don't always think long term they're a bit short termist 
Perhaps from your natural, perhaps from other experiences and, and, and other case studies that you looked at, what countries are doing that well? Holland. Holland had uh, government backing from the start of the social farm movement. Um, so the government really pumped it and promoted it well within the wider population. There's 1,200 care farms in Holland and they've got less than 20 million people living there. Wow. There's about 250 care farms in the UK and Ireland and we've got, there'll be, we'll, I don't know how many people live there, there's over 70 million probably. So proportionally we've got a lot less. But if you look, it's quite interesting now, you look at the Holland model, the government funded it early doors, got it going, got it working really well, put all the systems in place and the infrastructure and whatnot, and now the government funding is is, is quite small because they've created a, an almost self-sustaining sector. Um, and and it's a lot more broad there, like there's, there's nurseries for kids on farms, and that, that's quite common there. I was, I was really surprised when I went... I went to this farm and one element there was a residential care home in the corner of the farm and the other corner of the farm there was like a commercial pig enterprise and then there was a dairy farm next door and, and then there was like a children's nursery like slap bang in the middle of it all but it was great for the kids they were yeah. out and about it was really educational for them so what what you get up to away from farming with all, <laughs> all of that time that you have yeah all the spare time I've got yeah <laughs> other than having turkeys and sheep to look after at home yeah um, what do I do in my spare time? I do do a bit of sw- I, I, I like swimming. I go, sw- go swimming once a week. Yeah. I, I used to quite like cycling, but I don't do as much of it as I should have do. Like, unlike your other half? Yeah, my other half. She did, I mean, coast to coast in a day last year. That's insane. 150 miles cycling in a day. She, you won't get me doing that. <laughs> um, I, 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 my son takes a lot of time up now, I think. He's yeah. got to that age where you've got uh, taking him out and he's... Um, he, he has a mild obsession with tractors and tractor Ted and things like that, so... Can't think where that's coming no, from. No, can't think where that's coming from at all, so yeah. Uh, taking Fred out is, uh, takes a big part of the spare time up now. Yeah. Cool, right, well, we're just going to finish in the traditional way, which is with the one-minute soapbox. So this gives guests one minute to talk about a subject of their choice, and this could be anything at all. It could be farming-related, it could be nothing to do with farming, it could be a cause or concern close to your heart <laughs> have you got an idea of what you want to talk about uh, I'll probably go on about social care that sounds good idea yeah. right so Robin Asquith we've got one minute on social care starting now well I just think social care is knackered at the moment and uh Governments and uh, they just don't uh, place enough emphasis on it if they really realise the impact of funding cuts and the austerity has had on the sort of very needy of this society. They just they think about it completely different, but they all live in their blooming ivory towers down in Westminster and they don't appreciate what goes on in, on ground level. We see quite a lot of people, we're quite close to Teesside, there's a lot of uh, high unemployment and sort of like low unemployment and, and skills shortage in, in Middlesbrough and um, just if, if, if people realise that if they pumped a little bit of money in at the start that would have a far bigger knock-on effect further down the line and, and actually reduce um, the impact on people and help people lead a more fulfilling life <laughs> it's a bit of a ramble that one <laughs> <That was good. laughs> great job uh, 
uh, Robin, thank you so much for showing me around the plate at the farm right, today, pleasure. for having me and for speaking about social care and farming. Yep. Um, and wish you all the best for the future. Thank you very much. Robin Asquith in the North York Moors. You can follow Robin on Twitter at Robin Asquith. Next time, and for the next few episodes, I'll be discussing the dairy industry and its future with a number of guests, starting with Matt Swain. Big thanks to the Mercer Family Charitable Foundation for supporting this episode, Tom Bland for his help with production, and of course to you for listening. You can find all previous episodes at thinkingcountry.com or subscribe on Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, Spotify, or whatever platform you use. If you could share this episode with somebody who you think would enjoy it, I'd really appreciate that. Um, It's a chance to grow the podcast and get more people hearing farming voices, which is what this podcast is all about. I look forward to you joining me next time on Meet the Farmers.